You know, I, I was thinking about this um, now that it's uh, not a secret for me, at least. Uh, it's hard for me to keep these, um, but uh, for just a, uh, just a announcements, as I think about this sermon of just how Jesus, we're going to speak about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And just the one that, that really stands out in all four Gospels is spoken about is that things that really stand out in your life, you remember, you know, you kind of know the circumstances, you, it's, it places an important thing, a place in your heart. And then recently, that's something that's for me is that I know the exact date in January that uh, Jenny shared with us that she's pregnant. And we're like, oh, no, you know, like, so it's good. You know, um, you know, we're expecting our third, but I couldn't sleep that night. I'll say that, um, you know, it's like you think that, you oh, I, I have ever, I know what I'm doing but I don't. And, um, you know, being parents to two kids now, I'm just realizing, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with the third. So, but part of it is just realizing, you know, there's, there's moments in our lives that, you know, that we remember that make an impact and that, that really speaks into our hearts. And I would say this is one that, that, you know, I was processing of just, you know, I imagined my life to look a little different this fall. I was been telling our, some of our friends like, oh, I'm going to go swim in the mornings and work during the daytime. And maybe that's not true anymore. Um, but, but just thinking and, and praying and asking God that, and he was just, you know, it, it, was just, it was just a sweet time with God in a sense where being reminded that, you know, when we had a hard time conceiving for David, you know, asking God to have one kid and now he's, Bless us with a third. And I just realized, you know, what, you know, why am I just spending so much time mourning for my time, uh, what it could look like, but rather enjoying and, and taking that joy, you know, and I realized that more and more, as I've been reflecting the past couple of months of just how God has uh, really sh- revealed himself in different ways and how he's working in my life. And I think that's, not very different, you know, as, as we write in our journals, in my journal, and just kind of thinking through and remembering what God has done and what he's doing and all around me. It is something that I want to bring to light today of just, you know, as we go through the sermon series, the way of Jesus, just looking at his ways and especially for him, what, what the disciples really took note and really brought back and remembered. Do you know, I mentioned before that in this um, particular passage that we're going to look at today, that it's repeated, the story is repeated in all four Gospels. It's where I, I believe that all the writers, the people, the, the people, witnesses of that time, it was, it was big. It was big for them and made something of, of seeing the, how Jesus blesses the spiritual and the physical needs and how he really comes through. And it is something that I think they'll never forget. And that's what we're going to look at today of just times, especially in this snapshot of where he made an impact on people's lives and they just won't forget it, but they share it in a truthful way. And I think that's what we're going to glean of just the three responses of people. You know, we're going to see as Jesus feeds the 5,000, this is just a picture that, you know, that there's going to be three responses that I want to look at today. The one from the disciples the ones from the little boy that provides, and the last one from the people all around. And we're going to look at that in, in this kind of through this perspective of like, how do they respond when, they're, when they see such a miracle, such a, a, a sight that perhaps blows their mind? And, and what can we see of this rhythm of Jesus of, 
having this compassion and seeing people and meeting people where they are. So we're going to look at this today, uh, John 6, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to start us and read John 6, 1. <clears throat> Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great cloud crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had, they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we just pray for your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. The way that you meet people, that you re receive people, and the way that you speak. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of who you are, of the heart that you have. Would you transform our lives because you've given us your son and your spirit to do so, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray for just today, Lord. Would you speak with our hearts and our ears be open to just hear your voice and to follow your lead. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name. A quick background. You see that uh, there's a great crowd of people that follow is following them, following Jesus, because they saw the signs that Jesus has performed, they, he, how he has healed the sick. Prior to this, we know in Mark that his, his apostles, his disciples were sent out two by two and, and kind of carrying out his work and his deeds and sharing the gospel with he, who he is and the time to come. And, you know, you see this, that people are starting to bring their sick they're starting to just come to Jesus because they're, they're, many of them are perhaps wrestling and struggling and have been in hard times. And they're coming to see Jesus and they see him perform these signs and a lot, large crowd are gathering. And you see this is that this prior to this is that after in Mark account, Mark's account, you see that he sent his disciples. And as they come, or as they have come back in Mark 6, Verse there, they, they come back together and they're trying to come back together. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place 
and get some rest, right? They wanted to report to Jesus. This is what we saw. This is how you have done. It says in Mark that they saw healing. They saw many things, of the spirit working in, in their lives, right? And they wanted to just have a time of break. They wanted to come back by themselves to a quiet place and to get some rest. And that's even what Jesus mentions to them. But what's interesting and what was really standing out and the way that Jesus is rhythms his heart is that when he says this in Mark right afterwards, he says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You see that Jesus, as he saw this large crowd, he's noticed that, hey, there, some of them are perhaps coming for physical or problems that they might have. But rather, he also, not only did he heal them in many in other places you see that, he also begins teaching them. He blesses them with both addressing their physical and their spiritual needs. He's showing them who he is more than just what he can do. Right? And this is the background as we see of the feeding of 5,000. You see that people are gathering, the, 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 the disciples are tired, they're coming together, they wanted their time together. And Jesus has compassion on this crowd that's gathering, right? And what we read, we're going to look into this, is that that backdrop of Jesus <clears throat> meeting the 5,000 is what we're going to see, how the disciples respond, how this little boy responded, and how the people around are responding. Right? And I think the first thing that I want to mention is the disciples, they, they see Jesus working. They've been sent out. They've seen miracles but Jesus gives them this continued grace and patience, right? Jesus is telling, <clears throat> giving them a test. He says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat in John 6? He brings it up to Philip. Where should we buy bread? He sees them. He has compassion. He's teaching. They realize it's getting late. You can't send them out. And he says, where should we buy bread for, <clears throat> for these people to eat? And as he's asking that question, I think what's, what's interesting to me is that he knows what he is already have in mind to do. But more so than that, as he's asking, he's being patient with them and training and teaching them. Because what, what's interesting is that there's 5,000 people gathered, and that's only of men that's recorded, right? We don't know if there's how many women, children. There's probably maybe perhaps 10,000 or more. This is, I was looking, I was Googling for a picture of what does it look like to see 5,000 or 10,000 people? And I was trying to figure out, like, what a picture that could de depict this. And I, I saw this as the 1981 inauguration of Ronald Reagan. They took a picture of this inauguration. And, you know, New York Times, you can't see at the bottom right as much, but New York Times says they're estimating about 10,000 people were in attendance during that inauguration. Now, I just want you to kind of have that picture in mind, because sometimes we read this, there's 5,000 people who are like kind of just thinking, oh man, that's just a number. But imagine the disciples when they saw this many people, perhaps, gathering together, waiting, wanting Jesus. What would their response be, right? Knowing that they're tired. Perhaps it's not very different than for us, right? When we think about when we're busy, we're tired, we're getting through from one thing to another, and we see this huge need, perhaps. We see Jesus having compassion on people, and we see people that he's bringing into our lives, perhaps we struggle with that too. But what's interesting, <clears throat> and what sometimes gives me a lot of comfort, 
is the way that Jesus is, is, reacts and spends with his disciples. Because as their first response to him in Mark 6 is this, Mark 6, verses 35 to 36. Right? This is a remote place, they said, and it's already late. They tell Jesus, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Like, hey, we're, you know what? Like, we already are meeting these crowd of people, thousands of people. We were supposed to go on this personal retreat with you. You stopped, you see this. And then now we, we know you've taught, you met people where they are. But send them away. Let them get some food. And you see that this is exact time where Jesus says, no, what, what do we have? How can we feed them? Right? And when he says that, Philip <clears throat> responds in this. He responds in a way that I, I feel like I'm sympathetic with. He says it would take, he calculates, he calculates it takes half a year's wages to buy enough bread. He's knowing how much time it takes, how much money it takes. He's calculating, oh, wait, this is the pros, this is the cost analysis. This is what we'll have to do in order to meet what Jesus is saying. And perhaps that's not so different when we see this insurmountable, sometimes difficult things in front of us. That we're thinking, oh, how can I do it? What will it take? How much can I do? But rather, I think what, what we, this shows and what we'll see in the next perspective of the little boy is that it depended a lot more on them than on God. What's interesting is that for Philip's response here of calculating, wait, this is how much you really need. This is how much we need to buy for all these people here. Is that it takes into just the snapshot without taking account all that he's experienced so far. What's interesting, if you look through the Gospels of, of just even before Mark, Mark 6 and here in John 6, is that Jesus has healed a, a man that was lame for 38 years, that he was able to walk. He has already, from <clears throat> Pastor Michael's message, what we see is that he's, all his disciples experienced this wedding feast where he's miraculously turned water into wine. Right? But instead of thinking of all the things that the healings, the miracles, and the possibilities of what Jesus could do, they, instead they focused on what they could do. Right? They focused, wait, it would take this much money. They forget that Jesus could rain down manna from heaven if he wanted to, to feed all these people. But rather, their response is, we can't do it. It's not possible. But what I love about this is that when Jesus had this in mind, he knew what he was going to do. And even more so, his response is so gentle. You know, at the end, it says that they, they picked up all these loaves of bread that was left over, right? It says here, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. It's funny, I was reading the like commentaries, and then there's one person that joked, like, this is a... A, a way that biblical theology of not to throw away leftovers, you know, it's like Jesus is telling, no, let not pick up the leftovers, eat it all. But I thought that was funny. But at the same time, the response of Jesus is, is really striking. He says, he just tells his disciples, pick up the leftovers. This is what I, I really feel as, as we see the rhythms and who Jesus is. 
he's definitely not like me. I'll be like, well, see, I told you, didn't you see this part? Haven't I done this? Haven't you seen this lame man walk? Haven't I turned water into wine? But rather he's, he doesn't, at least it's not mentioned that he is hard on his disciples. He's not saying, hey, you've seen all this and yet, yet you still lack faith. Rather, he says, no, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. When I think about that, I think of just the gentleness, the patience, and not just in this instance, you see it throughout. That Jesus doesn't just leave his disciples behind, say, hey, I'm going to pick another group of people that, that understand, that follow, that remember. No, you see that he walks with them, he breaks bread, he eats with them, he speaks to them, and he encourages them. And that gives me so much peace and comfort, knowing that it's not about what I can do, what I can put together, what I think I can do, even when I mess up. That the message of the gospel, the, the ways of Jesus, is that he runs after people, that he's willing to pick people back up, that he's not harsh on them. I can easily see myself being harsh to the people around me, saying, hey, don't you know this already? But rather, we don't see that in any accounts, that he's harsh with them. I think Jesus, as we see in all his rhythms, is one that's patient, that's gentle. Next week, we're going to see at the same time, he brings up tension and he brings up discord, but not without a purpose in mind, right? Not out of anger, but there is something specific that he's getting across. But here, when people <clears throat> lack faith, when he tested them and they failed, he doesn't go, <clears throat> he is not harsh with them. And we see that perhaps that's an encouragement for us. Of what when we look at things and we feel, wait, this is not possible, or I have to do all this. That we can be reminded that he is gentle, that he pursues us, and that he speaks and teaches us that this testing has a purpose in the ways that they experience this miracle. Then they wouldn't forget. You know, and I think one person that perhaps this is just my personal thought, never forgot is this little boy that's nameless, that we don't know who he is, doesn't have a name, but he offers what he had and that God takes this little that he has and multiplies it to feed all. God takes the little and multiplies it immeasurably. It says that they found this boy with... Andrew finds this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And their question to Jesus is, how far will they go among so many? Right, That this boy at least brought it up saying, hey, I have this. Somehow they found him. And it was enough. Right, Because when he brought it to Jesus, I think this is... Jesus, I like this picture because it shows, I wanted to find one of hundreds of people behind him, right? Where he stands and gives it to Jesus. And Jesus prays and gives thanks for the bread and blesses it and distributes it. Right? Oftentimes, 
when we think about this boy is that perhaps how is this going to feed everybody? This is not enough. But rather, rather that they see that Jesus can. He can multiply the little that we have. I think about this because many times for me, I think about the times where it is just, I, I give God the leftovers that I have rather than giving God what I actually do have. You know, I have this meal right here. It was, supposed to, it was supposed to be on animation, but I guess it didn't put it. Where, you know what? It's when I, where it's easy to give God, these are my leftovers. It's easy to give away your leftovers rather than the first fruits, the first portions, or even setting aside things for him. And this specifically for me from college on was this idea that I didn't have enough time as one example, that there's deadlines, there's work to do, there's this much, and I just couldn't do it. There's exams. I remember in my junior year trying to take double majoring and trying to do all these things. And every night I was staying up till three to four in the morning, trying to finish the homework for the next day. And it got to a point where I just realized I cannot do this. I'm done. Right. And I just remember calling my parents, say, I'm not going to double major. I'm just going to do this. And then I'm happy with this. And I don't know what happened after I dropped that class. I was so free. It was just one class. But at the same time, it was the same time where I started serving and I started being a part of Stepping Stone and seeing at that time, I was thinking, hey, I'll just help out with the small group. You know, I was an apprentice and I was like, oh, you could count on me to just help out. And that was the time in that span of time was when we saw our church at the Stepping Stone side grow from about 30 students to about 100 students at one, in that one year. And just seeing God work in these ways showed me that, wait, I have the time. And that was also prior to that, a time where I decided between my relationship with God that, God, I will always try to give you 15 minutes of my day. I remember in college just thinking my freshman year, I'm going to give you 15 minutes. I'm going to read the scriptures. And I'm going to reflect on it for 15 minutes a day. I don't have that much time. I don't know what it is, but I was like, I'll commit to this. And I was looking it up. It's like 15 minutes each day, 5,475 minutes in a year, 91 plus hours. And what's interesting is for a new believer like myself, spending that time, it actually took me much longer but it took me much longer to read through the whole scripture, but there's a LifeWay survey, I guess, in 2017. Sorry, I should have just made this into two slides. The first one is just on the top. It says, how, how much of the Bible have you personally read? And out of the survey, about 20% of the people said, of 1,000 people said they've read it. So about 200 people have read it over cover to cover. And majority and also many of the people have not, right? They read a couple of verses, a couple of things. And I realized, I remember thinking to myself back then in college, just saying, I'm going to give you God 15 minutes of my time and just spend that time reading. I'm going to spend that time meditating a lot within that. It took me over two and a half years. So I probably didn't read that much. Okay. Cause what it says here in the average per day, on a crossway research, it takes 74 hours and 28 minutes to read through the whole Bible, right? So I probably should have been able to read it if I read 15 minutes in one 
the whole Bible in a year, but it took me multiple years, but it, over the years, it got me through. And more than that, what I realized in my time in college is that, that this relationship with God, that this is something real and something that he speaks, that he cares for who I am. And that he's there with his, that he's there and available for each one of us. I realize this more and more is that this idea that <clears throat> many times I, I think is that, God, I don't have enough, but rather I'm trying to change my rhythm to think, no, God, this is I, what I have and I'm, I want to give it to you. This boy gave five loaves and two fish, perhaps what he brought, perhaps what's for his family, perhaps all that he had. But what's interesting here is that more so than what probably perhaps for him, God, you, Jesus blesses his food and, and multiplies it for everyone. And every, he's able to see that firsthand and he's able to experience that. But one thing I was thinking about is this, imagine all the people all around him. Did anyone else have a loaf of bread? Did anyone else have any other food or things that they perhaps did not offer or bring up? And that they missed out on the opportunities of being like this boy, that able to see it firsthand of what God can do with the little that we have to bless those all around us. I, I wonder what it could have been for anyone that's in that vicinity of 5,000 or plus of just thinking, wait, I have a piece of bread. I have this. And being able to see how God would multiply what they had and feed all those around. But for this little boy, for this boy, he offered what he had. And in the end, it blessed so many people. You know, I think about this is that when Jesus is working in people's lives and when he takes that and blesses, he takes this food and he blesses and feeds 5,000. But he also, what we saw earlier is that he taught, he had compassion on him, he taught. And I think this is so important is that he, not only did he just address the spiritual need, he also addressed their physical need. And I think this is something as we're <clears throat> growing as a church and our community groups are doing is spending our time actually creating time and space in our lives to have a rhythm to serve, serve the community around us, have eyes to see, asking God for this compassionate heart to see those around us. And I think for us as a church, and I just want to announce it, we're going to join this uh, Southern Baptist Send Relief, right? There is a serve tour that's happening in Baltimore on April 29th to 30th. I think we're going to join in on the 30th as a church-wide, but to just serve the cities, to serve people, to, to be outside of just our community here. And with all the community groups, we're, we're asking people and asking each person to, to ask, what are the things that God is burdening in your heart that you see God working in? It's the same idea of, I think many times we approach people wanting to share their spiritual needs without ever trying to also be a part of their physical needs. I think it goes hand in hand 
And something that has been challenging for me too, is that I remember the days where I used to just give uh, people <clears throat> on the, the homeless people that I met my leftovers. And that made me feel good. It's just like, oh, I'm giving away, I'm giving food. But rather it was, you know, I think about it now, years later, just thinking, would I want to eat someone's leftovers that they touched, they went through? Well, what would it look like to have dignity to give because I want to and I choose to and I make that space? And there's plenty of things, I think, for each one of us. It's not about how much, but rather what we see in the story is allowing God to use whatever we have to bless and to make a difference in people's lives around us. Right? I wonder for us as a church, as individuals, what that will look like when we see the little that we have being multiplied by God in the ways that it would bless those around us. <clears throat> Lastly, the, the third perspective of when he feeds his 5,000 is the people around. You see that the people around us, even with the disciples, even the little boy, they all ate and they all saw this miracle. And perhaps that made a huge impact for them. But what I <clears throat> was thinking about is this, when Jesus took the bread, the loaves, and gave thanks, he distributed it to those around there seated. I mentioned earlier that, they, that this was near the Jewish Passover, right? And they had leftover bread at the very end. I think that all this is part of what John is mentioning to the people and allowing them to see, even at our time right now, to see culturally, because I think back then people understood it probably perhaps more. The Jewish people, the people that are going to Jesus, they were celebrating a Passover. And the Passover, I'm not sure if you've ever been a part of a Passover a Seder and just kind of been a, a part of this celebration or at the same time, this remembrance of what God has done. I was, I was fortunate to be asked to join one one time and to lead one. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, and our, our, my Jewish friend was just saying, no, it's okay. Cause it was part of our, uh, because our late pastor, oh no, my advisor passed away and he always wanted to be a part of it. And instead our lab did a, a Seder kind of a Passover, um, just knowing that it would be partly to remember him and really just as a, as a whole to remember God. And this, this, I'm showing this background because I want people to, I want us to see that each one of these things, whether it's a, a, on the top right, you see, <clears throat> whether it's a <clears throat> shank of a, of, of a lamb, kind of just the offerings and the, uh, of what they remember at the temple. You know, there's bitter, I won't go through each one, but each one has a, res, a symbolic and a remembrance of what God has done in, for the Israelites as a, for Exodus, as they came out of Egypt, right? That there were bitter vegetables that they could remember. There's mixture of medley of things that they remember making straws and making the bricks. Each one of them is to remember the importance and who God is and how he has brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. I bring this because I think for us, it's such, it's, it's somewhat of a foreign concept and it's not something that we're probably thinking about. But I believe the people at that time, the, in that context with Jesus, they understood this. They understood that this is the Passover, this time. Perhaps it's like Christmas for us that we remember as 
perhaps for those who grew up in the church or in the church now, knowing that it's Christmas about Christ, right? But this is, this is a time where they are remembering what God has brought them to. And I think this, in light of this feeding of the 5,000 of Jesus providing the bread and the leftover, is what, what the people saw, that no, they're remembering how Jesus, how God promised them and the promises and the, and the <clears throat> prophecies of to come and remembering what God has done, that they're taking all that together and in Passover, realizing surely this is the prophet who is to come into this world, right? And they wanting to make him, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. Sometimes I don't blame this group mentality because if they are familiar with just their history, their heritage, the scriptures, the prophecies, that that is what they're looking for. They're looking for a king. They were thinking a king that would restore them, a king that would bring them freedom from the Roman rule. And here you see that Jesus knows what he's, they're thinking, and then he withdraws himself. That he doesn't allow that to happen in ways that he's really addressing, I would say, something deeper, right? He's showing this sign. He's wanting them to connect all the dots, right? And he says this later on in John 6, verses 35. He says, Jesus declares, not to this group, but to another person. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, I think when, when he was addressing the group of people here, he was providing for their physical needs. He was speaking of, of their spiritual needs. But what people saw, perhaps, were how God would take, what Jesus would do, would take care of his phys their physical and tangible needs, what their desires were. And they wanted to make him king and to do that, but rather he was saying, no, that is not it. That he was reminding them as he <clears throat> goes away, and this speaks to his disciples and people around him, is that he wants people to understand that he is there to, to give satisfaction, not of just the tangible needs, but the intangible, the, thing, the desires of our hearts. That this story isn't so much just about feeding hungry stomachs, but rather the spiritual satisfaction of being fed and being <clears throat> given food, bread of life. Right? That when Jesus says this, he's connecting all this for people to know, and even John, for the audience to understand. That he connects it to this, that he is the bread of life. That he wants people to understand that. And I think when, I, when we see this whole picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see that more than just the physical needs that he really addressed, he was also there to address their spiritual needs that he was sharing and teaching them things about who he is. And I think this is what <clears throat> part of introduction to next week of the conversations that Jesus has with people as he meets them in their physical needs is that he also brings apart tension and brings to light the, the deep things of people's heart to ask them, who am I and what do you, what do you desire? And we're going to see that next week as we see him speak of this bread of life. But for this week, it is something that, that reminds us that this rhythm that Jesus had, that he had compassion, that he saw people, 
met people where they were, that he healed but yet spoke into their lives, is one that we could see transformation over time for the disciples. I wish we could know how the little boy, the boy responded later. But I imagine that that's something that you just don't forget. And for the, all the people that followed or even walked away from Jesus afterwards, that they understood something more, that Jesus was bringing to the light, that he is the bread of life, that he would bring true satisfaction. And that's a, <clears throat> something for us as we think about today is what is that satisfaction for you and when you feel it or do you know it? Where do you place yourself in this scene with the disciples, whether <clears throat> presenting an, an option to Jesus with the, like Andrew, bring the little boy or Philip calculating the responses of what would be needed? Or do we see ourselves perhaps sometimes hoping to be like the boy who risks every, letting his lunch go to see God multiply and bless thousands of people? Or we see it in the crowd. You know, when, we, when they wanted something, they wanted an outcome that was really more for themselves than what Jesus was doing. I think one, the, the takeaway that I would challenge us is where do we see ourselves in this story of asking what gives us satisfaction? Is he the bread of life in my life? What do we remember of what he has done? And to ask ourselves, Lord, it's not about me, but about you. And how can you take the little that I have and bless thousands of people around me? Let's pray. Lord, we've been thinking about rhythms for Lent and just praying for this church. Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that asking everyone to take a couple minutes, a minute, just in your own prayer. Pray for God to open our eyes, our hearts, to have compassion to see the things around us and in us that breaks God's heart, that he's asking us to join. Spend a minute there just reflecting and praying whatever comes into your mind. Lord, I pray for this moment, Lord, that your spirit is perhaps pulling in our hearts of the things that you are doing, Lord. Lord, enable us, strengthen us in ways that we would have this compassionate heart of yours, Lord. That we would see because we are forgiven, because we love, are loved, that we can love. And so, Lord, 
help this moment, Lord, to not think of the things that help us in this moment, that perhaps our obstacles, our difficulties, but rather help us to see whatever we can offer to you, Lord, in our lives, our time. Would you bless it, Lord? Would you show us it's not about what we can do, but what about what you can do, what you have done? Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are gentle, that you are patient, that you draw people to you. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that, that we would not be a, a people that only thinks for ourselves of what we want and what we need but that we would have a heart for all people or for your people, for each person made in your image. And so Lord, we just pray. We pray, we pray that we would be in remembrance of what you have done to know of what we could do. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for showing us how powerful, how amazing you are, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you in the ways that, Lord, that you would not let the people force you to be king, that, Lord, even when our hearts and our <clears throat> perhaps motivations are wrong, that you are good to not let that happen, that you are sovereign and powerful, and that you have are here to accomplish your purpose, Lord. That you've called us and sent us. And so, Lord, thank you, Lord. And we lift this time of worship to you, Lord. We lift this time of praise to you. But just a celebration of who you are. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.